Uh, tonight I'm going to do a little teaching, a little speaking, a little preaching. We're going to hit it all tonight. We're going to come out of the book of Joshua, chapter 3. And if you're not familiar, familiar with this passage, this is where the Israelites are coming out of the wilderness and they're coming into the promised land. Anybody ever been through a wilderness season? Come on now, this is not a funeral. You can nod your head. <laughs> I'm going to start with uh, verse, verse number 11. Joshua 3, verse 11. It says, See the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord... <clears throat> Of all the earth set foot on the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in the heat. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan was at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing it piled up in a heap of great distance away at a town called Conveniently Adam in the vicinity of Zethron. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over the opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely I completed the crossing on dry ground. <clears throat> so there's a few things right here. If you, uh, I, I'm a geology kind of guy. I like to know what's going on. I like to know the history of the land. I like to know the history of the people. I like to know all that. That way, whenever I run into a scenario, I want to know what, why, when, where. Why did we cross the river here at this place? So this very place right here, which becomes known as Gilgal, is the very place where Cain killed Abel. It's crazy, isn't it? God reuses the same dirt over and over. This is also the place where the last time I got to speak here was on uh, Elijah and Elisha. This is the place where Elijah parted the river and went to the wilderness side to be taken up. The same place. So there's a lot of history with this very place right here. <clears throat> so another thing is it says that it, the river was at flood stage. This was the time of harvest. This was not just any other season that we could think of. Where, where we get the idea of latter rains in the Old Testament or New Testament in the book of Revelations falls back to this idea right here of crossing into the promises, the latter rains. They were experiencing the latter rains of the harvest season. So it is thought and it is estimated that the river at that point, at that place was close to a mile wide. It's like the Mississippi River being out of its banks. And at its deepest point in the center there was around 100 feet. Now that is going off a... Uh, going off of the times, the dates, everything we would go off of historically to look at a flood. And so <clears throat> that was what God parted. A lot of times in our minds, we think of uh, just a ditch or a creek or a small river when we think about God parting this river, but it said it backed all the way up to Adam. Adam was 30 miles away. So are we starting to see the big picture of what God actually done here, how big that he did it. And it's estimated that for him to have parted it the way he parted it, for the water to keep running and to keep holding, it was over two miles high. People in the surrounding cities could see the water. 
and they could hear the stepping of a 1.5 million Israelites walking across on dry ground. And the significance of dry ground is because you get a 1.5 million people across and a river bottom that's still wet, what are you going to have trouble with? Carts aren't going to go, the oxen are going to bog up, you're going to lose kids in the, in the skitter ruts, if any of y'all know anything about logging. So it's a pretty significant thing that God did. A lot of times in our minds, we view this just by happenstance, like God parted another water source. But it's more to it than that because the promises was waiting on the other side. A whole generation had died out in the wilderness. Forty years in the wilderness, the, the generation of fighting men that come out of Egypt into the wilderness that was afraid to cross into the promises, and that's going on in a lot of churches. I'm going to go ahead and hit that up. There's a generation that's afraid to step into the promises of God. And, and if you wait there in the wilderness too long, you're going to be removed. You're never going to experience the taste of the harvest. You'll never experience that. You'll, you'll make it to heaven and say, all I had to do was get in line. Because that's what the Israelites did. God told them to line up and watch the priest. If you go back and read the rest of the chapter, he said, put your eyes on the priest. So they lined up. So, and I haven't studied how far or how wide, but I imagine it's a couple miles of people if they're about 10, 12 foot wide, lined up with the word of God. What does God do when they line up with the word of God? Parts a river. These are basic principles like we've got to get in our mind uh, walking in the promises that God has given us. When we line up with the word of God, rivers part. Come on. Write this down, get this in your mind. When I line up with the word of God, rivers part. God opens up me to the promises. <clears throat> so I think we covered a lot of the details of the place here. Um, one, one thing I want to point out is the part in there where God told Joshua to appoint 12 men. So how did Joshua get put in this place? Why did he pick Joshua? Because Joshua was, was Moses' servant. Joshua <clears throat> was Moses' servant, and he was with him the whole time that, that Moses served God. He was with him the whole time. So when Moses would go back out to the crowds and talk, Joshua would stay in the tent in the presence of God. So are we figuring out why God cho chose Joshua? It's because there was an intimate relationship already established. He knew God's voice. He knew the, knew the and, and felt what God's presence feels like. Who, who in here knows what God's presence feels like? Because I can assure you, if you don't know what God's presence feels like, you're going to have a lot of issues lining up with the Word of God. Because the enemy is going to take <clears throat> the Word of God and pull it out of your eyes. He's going to pull it out of your mind, out of your thoughts. And he's going to pull physical things in place that we're going to focus on. And these physical things, sometimes the enemy can use them to pull us away or make us go astray. <clears throat> so back to the 12, the 12 men. God told Joshua to get one man from each tribe. And he didn't just pick anybody. It wasn't like he walked in and said, all right, I need Adam. I, I, I need Jim. I need Pastor Lot. No, that was not how he picked them. It was a strategy in picking these men because of the size of the stones that had to be carried out of the river. There was a magnitude here. Anybody ever seen a strongman competition? 
You ever seen them when they start picking the boulders up and the, the further they get with the boulders, the bigger they get and the higher they have to set them up? Well, these rocks, these stones that they toted out, a lot of them were about knee high by about knee high by about knee high. Can you imagine how much that stone would weigh? Three or 400 pounds. And God told Joshua to tell them to tote it on their shoulder. He didn't say drag it out with a mule. He said, pick them up and put them on your shoulder. So he had to strategically pick these guys out. They had to stand out. They, they were known for their strength. They were known for their abilities. And if we wonder sometimes while God singles out some people and shines a light on their lives that we see that minister to us, it's because there's a known fact that God's already put on them. And what we need to see is the, the testimony of their ability of why God put them in that place and why God's using them in that place. Because there's an example that needs to be laid out for us to walk in. So these were men of example. So they go to the center of the river. Now, like I said, this river is around a mile wide because it's at flood stage. So they had a half a mile walk, give or take, to carry these stones out. And so they make this altar. And when they make this altar, the, the viewing, the, the, the way I view this altar is a testimony. And that's the way God sees it, is a testimony. And you think of all the things you've been through in your life. All the bits and pieces, the stones that God has given you to carry out. And you ask yourself, have I built an altar with it? Or do I hide the stones and present myself in such a way that God never had to part a river for me? That I was just born the way I am? That I'm just the way I am because he chose me to be the way I am. I hope you hear what I'm saying on this. Why, why are we battling some of the things we're battling in the American church today? Is because the testimonies are falling out of the church. And we rob God of being worshipped when we do not share the testimony of what he's done in our lives. And a lot of times we want a testimony this size so we can hide it and occasionally pull it out and share it with people in convenient situations did I ever tell you that my marriage was falling apart and God parted the river and provided dry ground for me to get back to my wife or for us to meet together? We don't ever want to talk about things like that. But those testimonies like that give people hope. They give non-believers hope. They give believers hope. It's like, how do, you, how do you maintain the relationship you have with your husband or with your wife? Because we have not ever took the altar of what God done in our lives and pushed it to the side. That altar is right there every day. It's right in front of us. It's on our hands. It's written on our hearts. I can't even look at another woman because of the woman God gave me. You said, God sets us free of stuff like that. And that has to be a testimony for other men and other women that God took my eyes and put them on him. And once my eyes was on him, I could see her. I started seeing, started seeing a proverbial woman. Y'all know what I'm talking about, men? Anybody ever prayed some proverbs over your wife? If you hadn't, you need to start. You need to start because we get to do that. We get to use God's war, word in this war that we're in. It's spiritual warfare. I think pastors covered a lot of warfare over the last four weeks, and we don't need to take any of that out of consideration, the power of the word of God and how we set it forward with the name of Jesus. <clears throat> so 
When you leave here tonight, are you going to be prepared to give a testimony of things that's already done? Because if you sat in here tonight and you hear this and you don't do anything with this word, you've wasted time that you could have been doing something else with. Because the, the whole purpose of us being here is to grow, correct? We want to grow. We want to be informed. We want, we want our faith to exceed what we think it is. Anybody ever study the parable of the wineskins, the new wineskins? We get to these places in life that we just seem like we're getting enough to make it through the week or we're getting enough to go day by day. And I've, I've faced that many times in my life. It's because my life and my duties and my calling has exceeded the wineskin that I had for the previous season. And so I continually am filling up a, a, a small vessel when I need a larger vessel. I need to die to something. That's the whole purpose of those words there that we see in Scripture. We have to die. We have to be born again again. <laughs> Anybody ever been born again again? I've went through it all over again two or three times, and it's an, it's an extending of the wineskins. And it goes back to, to moments like this. It's like we have multiple altars in our lives. You go back through the book of Genesis, and you see where Abraham built an altar, Isaac built an altar, Jacob built an altar, ja Jacob built another altar, Jacob built another, another altar. For every encounter they had with God, there was an altar. There was a place that they went back to as a memorial. I encountered God here. And then I encountered God here. And then I encountered God here. Over and over and over again, there is a renewal process that takes place. And the purpose, you see where God says, <laughs> I'm going to go back and read it. I'm sorry. I may be getting ahead of y'all. Maybe I'm getting ahead of me. God tells Israel through, through Joshua to bring your children back to this place. Bring your children back here. Because he knew this was, just a, this was just a crossing. This was just going to be a count because the promises was still further on across the river. A lot of us get into salvation and we stop there. We stop right there. We build this altar. Our testimony is Jesus has saved us. It never becomes to the place where I'm continually growing. I've seen God do this. I prayed somebody through. We've seen blind eyes opened up. We've seen people sober up. We never get to that place where there's a continuing of a testimony based off of growth. But God wanted Israel to bring their children back to this place. This is a question for dads in here. Have you ever testified to your children about your encounter with Jesus? Because it's your job. If you're a spiritual leader, which you, you are as a father and as a husband, you are the spiritual leader of your home. It is your job to bring your children to Gilgal and to explain about how wide the river was, how deep the river was, how the ground dried up, how God took it all away to bring you into the promises. That's what a testimony does. It brings back, there, there's information there that we have to paint the picture so vivid that people can smell the flowers. People can smell the flowers. When Israel crosses in to the promises, it's harvest time. There's standing fields of corn. There's carrots. There's potatoes. And I honestly, I don't know. I've never studied in on the crops that they had there. I'm sure there's a lot of wheat. But can you imagine tasting sweet corn for the first time as a 40-year-old? 
first time. I've been eating manna all these years. I've had some quail. I've been wearing the same pair of shoes for 40 years. These britches have, <laughs> corduroy never goes out of style if you're in the wilderness. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but it was funny. <laughs> that was the way they rolled over there. Can you imagine coming out and people going, man, y'all have got, got a dated attire on. We don't even dress like that. They look nothing like the culture, but they were a culture. They were their own culture. They had the favor of God on their lives. That was the culture they brought across the river. Had already had a lady by the name of Rahab they had encountered that had made promises with Israel for what? For her life to be spared if she would hide the spies. God had already made an impact. People were already afraid of the promised people coming into the promised land. There's something scary about new ground. There's something so frightening about stepping into something we've never stepped into and tasting things that we've heard about or that we've, we've looked across the river at all of our lives and wondered what would it be like to step into it? What would it be like for me to step out of my comfort zone and to testify and to share the gospel? What would it be like if I went to the altar and prayed for people one Sunday? Because you know what? I know what he or she's going through and I've already got the victory on that. That's crossing a river. That's stepping into promises. Matter of fact, that's stepping into the commissioning of God. That's stepping into where God tells us to lay hands on people, to pray over people. That's stepping into what you are commissioned into as a new believer or a born-again believer. I'm going to ask the question again, are you prepared? Because one day you'll look back on your life and you'll say, I messed it all. I was so focused on so many other things that I never took God at his word in my own life. There was a, a minister back in the 60s, Catherine Kuhlman, and she was of the, the ministry called the Word of Faith Movement. And they would go set up tents and they'd preach, preach these big revivals around 70 different ministers. And God was just moving all over the countryside and she had the gift of healing. And she could get, get in the room and she would just talk about the presence of God and how good God was. She didn't really roll in scripture any much. She would just roll in revelation. But then the, the altar service would start and little girls would get up out of wheelchairs. Such an awesome anointing on her life. But she told one of her minister friends she did not know if she had enough faith for herself. And she wound up dying <clears throat> about three years later of cancer had all this faith for other people, but didn't have it for the, herself. And a lot of times that's just the opposite for us, that we've got so much faith in our own salvation and that God's going to take care of me that we never share it. We never expose anyone else to the holy of holies in our life. The, the stones that God has... The stones that God has taken, given us for our testimonies, are they big enough to share? Was the cross a big thing in your life? Did you truly get set free? Because if you're free, if you're truly free, if the scripture is so true, who he sets free is free indeed, then these stones have to be exposed. They have to be exposed. You want to see your children's children walk in the fullness of God's promises? 
But you've got to tell them about the promises that's already taken place in your life. There's this testimony that we have to testify that, that he called my name, that he saved my soul, that he, that he healed me, that he saved my marriage, that, that he is my banner, that he is my king of kings and my lord of lords, that he parted all these rivers and I walked across on top of dry ground into his promises. It's, it's, we're, we're starving so much as a whole in the American church now as we, only, we rely on, right now, you're relying on what I'm telling you. When you've got the word of God in front of you, and God wants to reveal it to you. He wants to tell you intimately the same way he tells me. The, the true revelations in life happens when you're in the private place, in, in the secret place with God. That is when he opens up this door and the winds start blowing and the rivers start rushing and God starts downloading earth. My son used this word airdrop. Y'all know what that is? He starts airdropping. Just starts downloading everything into you. Because we open ourselves up in those intimate places like that. But I can tell you this, what goes on in private when it comes to you and God is going to take place in public. So that leaves a question of why am I not testifying? Maybe it's because there's not anything going on to testify about. It actually moves testimony to the front. The idea of a spiritual wilderness, I promise y'all I'm going somewhere. The idea of a spiritual wilderness... <clears throat> Sometimes we do get set free from an Egypt environment, a place of bondage. And whether you realize it or not, or I realize it or not, but before the cross, I was in bondage to a degree, to something. There was a God in my life. There was an idol in my life somewhere. I, I either had money as idolatry, I had women, or women had men, or vice versa. What, whatever it is, there was a God in your life before Jesus came in your life. And we have to realize that is, that, that is an Egypt experience of the, the Red Sea being parted. But the wilderness journey was never supposed to have been 40 years. We were never supposed to have come into a church and gotten saved and gotten baptized and then remain just part of the upholstery for the next 40 years. I, I got the honor of speaking at a church one night and uh, I was sitting right over in this area and uh, a lady come in and asked me to move out of her seat. That's what we become. Now, there should be no order in here when it comes to that. Matter of fact, it should be the place where I'm willing to get up so you can get a better view or I'm looking for new converts or new people that may not even be saved to come in to say, hey, look, this is a great spot to sit. I'll stand up for the service just so you can sit in comfort and hear what's going on. Those, she, she didn't know me from, from Hoss. I would say Adam, but I've used too many Adam jokes tonight. She wouldn't know me from Hoss. Cockright. And so there's so many times... And I think about stuff like that and I'm heartbroken because I looked up to so many people like that in my life. And I, and I weighed out who I was as a Christian based off of how, how much I prospered or how many people liked me or how many people looked up to me versus how many lives did God touch through me. That's where Christ likeness comes in. You see, God didn't give Israel Gilgal so that they could just build a settlement on that side of the river. They didn't, he didn't build that for them. 
Matter of fact, he sent them to a stronghold. The next place they wind up at, who knows where they wind up at? Come on, you can answer the question. Jericho? The word Jericho means stronghold. And if you break it down completely, it's stronghold of Satan. The walls of Jericho, the stronghold of Satan. That's where he puts them at. Sends them straight into the enemy's camp to tear down walls through worship. It's amazing what we learn in the Bible of how to fight today. Is there, I can guarantee you this, there's strongholds somewhere in your family. There's strongholds in your family somewhere. And without the testimony of what took place at Gilgal and the heart of worship from what God has done and the faith of what God will do, we'll never see the strongholds fall. Basic principle understandings of how, what, when, where. As a lot of times we do not take the manual out and break it down and apply it to our lives or actually apply our lives to the Bible. I'm an Israelite whenever I read the Old Testament about the Israelites. So I went astray enough times for all of us. We all go astray. God runs us back in. Then we go astray again. We promise we'll never do it again. And then we go astray again. It's a continued cycle. And that goes from the top to the bottom. And I'm not chastising anybody on that. The fact that we come back is what matters. What should, be, what should matter to me is if I see you going astray, is to get you before you go, before you fall completely off. And that's going to cross some lines. And some people's going to look at it and say, you know what, let, let Mr. Jim over here do what he wants to do. He's going to do it anyway. And that's a mindset that's carried all throughout our society now is we don't want to cross lines that used to be crossed a long time ago. There, there was a heart of correction. Like I said, a heart of correction. Not an idea or a mindset of correction. It comes from the heart. Hey, this is not how we do it. This is not how we love on people. This is not how we love God. The issue nowadays I see in my life is when we get down to the, to the kingdom commandments, love God, love your neighbors yourself. How can I love somebody like I love myself if I don't love myself? A lot of us are ashamed of who we are and we, we see the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, and we're all the time comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. And that's where we stay at. We stay in comparison. And it's hard to love your neighbor if you can't love you the way God loves you. And that is not being selfish. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is not being selfish. Because if you don't have it, you can't give it. It's impossible. We can never worship God enough that strongholds fall unless we have the testimony of the stones that came out of the middle of the river. And that river had to be in flood stage. It's impossible. So Joshua 5, y'all can roll over there if you want to. Uh, Joshua 5, 9, I'll just read it. Uh, the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. It says, so this place will be called Gilgal forever. That place is still there today. Those stones are still there today. But the reproach of Egypt, what did he do? He removed that mindset and that heart that was in bondage because that was still in the wilderness with them. That generation that was dying off every step. They, can you imagine being a prisoner 
your whole life and hearing the sound of chains rattle every step you took. And even after you're set free from that, you still have those phantom sounds coming in. You still hear the clinging of the chains. You still feel the, the cold iron on your wrist. You still feel that. And that was what crossed the Red Sea with Egypt. They, they prayed for God to send them back into bondage. At least they had food there. That's how manna came about. Something that also happens in chapter 5 is the manna was cut off. God was not providing food anymore. You're in the promised land. You get to pick your own. You're in the promised land. You get to pray for it. You get to speak it into motion through the word of God. That's what you're in if you're born again. When we take our life and we say, God, if it be your will. Well, what's God's will? Anybody in here know what God's will is? It's in his word. It's in his word. If you don't know the word of God, you can't pray his will. Because Peter said that God would have none to perish, but to all come to the knowing of Jesus Christ as Lord. That none would perish. So that means anybody. That means you. That means me. That means anyone. So when we take, and take this box and say, I don't know God's will, I'm going to stay in this box so I don't have to exercise my faith because guess what? What if it don't work and I look like an idiot? My question is, what if you honor God with your faith and what if he makes the world look like an idiot? I think there's some fear in that too because we feel like we'll have to apologize for God moving. When the ball starts rolling, fences get torn down. Family fall, families fall apart over Jesus every day. But through faith, God puts the families back together. So, this is terrible. I probably shouldn't. Never mind. I'm going to. I'm going to do it. So, God just opened up the gate. He brought whole nation into the promised land. Said, build this altar. We're going to call this place Gilgal. They are having the Passover feast. The Passover feast brought them out of Egypt. The Passover feast brought them into the promised land. I don't know if you knew that, but it was the Passover feast. So God says, Joshua pulls him off to the side, says, hey, Joshua, go chip out some stones to circumcise them. That's a terrible way to celebrate. <laughs> That's a terrible way to celebrate. But there was a cutting off that was taking place. That whole generation that come from the, the lineage of circumcision was gone. And we have to reestablish that. These men have to be known, not just by God, but by everybody that meets them and encounters them. That was a physical mark. But in Romans chapter 2, 28 through 29... Paul is writing to the Romans and he says, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. Now circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. That's what we encounter. We're marked. If you're born again, you're marked. 
God says through Ezekiel that in those days, he's talking about these days, I'll remove their hearts of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. That is the born again experience. That is the fruit of the spirit in motion. That is a new creation. That is what we become once we cross into the promised land. We come out of the wilderness experience. We get a new heart. Why? Because it removes the reproach of what took place in our bondage. Why? Because God wants somebody in his life that does not look back. Jesus said in the book of Matthew that he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. Meaning you're born again, you're put in place to do kingdom work. That's what we're doing right now. We want to see this grow. We want to see the wilderness experience go away. And I want to see you leave here tonight exploring God's word and seeing what the promises are for you. Because they're still there. The promises God gave Abraham are the promises that you have access to through faith. But when we put our hands to the plow and we look back, we can't keep the roads straight. We'll double plow or we'll run over roads and we'll, we'll turn up seed that's been sown. The forward focus in this, the whole way, all the way back to the Israelites lining up and keeping their eyes on the priest. Jesus is our high priest. We keep our eyes on our high priest. When he walks into the water, he's leading a path for us to walk through on dry ground. It's simplicity. The word of God is simple. When we apply Holy Spirit, it comes to life. Because the word of God is living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. But without the Holy Spirit, it's just a book. There's atheists in this world that know the word of God better than Christians do. That's a fact. It's the reason a lot of us are afraid to share our testimonies with people at work that, that come from that way. It's like, they're going to eat me for alive. Not if your heart's circumcised. Just because you're uneducated in the Word of God does not make you inferior to anyone because of what God's done in your heart. Whenever we remove the power of the Holy Spirit out of our life, what are we doing to the gospel? What are we doing to the testimony? What are we doing to the stones, the altar? We're hiding it. Regardless of what you're going up against, my testimony is still the same thing. I am proof that evolution does not exist. I am proof that we don't come from monkeys. I am proof that God exists. How am I proof? Because of the testimony of what he did in my life. Where I was at, I was one way. He said my name, now I am another way. I hear his voice, I'm filled with his spirit, and I believe him until the end of time. Are you willing to lay your life down on that? Our faith is going to cost us something before we get out of this world. I'm, I'm 41, fixing to be 42 years old, and I say that word loosely, us, because there's a generation in here that's not much older than me, and there's a generation in here that's a little younger than me. It's going to cost us something. It's going to cost our children something. Are you ready to pay? Are you ready? If you can't lay your life down at the foot of the cross, you're never going to lay it down in the street. Ever. Because if he's not that real, you will balk. You will balk in a heartbeat. 
If he is not that real to you, when you get that opportunity and you know it's, God's been dealing with you for weeks, you know without a doubt that you're supposed to have a conversation with this individual and you know that this is going to happen. You're going to have the opportunity to sit down and drink a cup of coffee and have a conversation with somebody. If he is not that real, you're not going to follow through on what God's dealing with you about. There has to be this turning point, this I'm all in place that we go all in and no looking back, that we take our eyes and we lock them on Jesus. And if you're leading me across rivers, I'm going across rivers. And you know what? I know the ground's going to be dry. If you're leading me in this direction, I know it's you. I hear your voice. I feel your spirit. I know I'm in your presence and this is where you're taking me. I know without a doubt there's promises on the other side. There's an accountability we get to hold God to just like he holds us accountable. And that accountability is his word. Because if one part of it, one letter, one period, one comma is a lie, all of it's a lie. And it's infallible. That means it's truth. That means the sun keeps coming up and the sun keeps going down until he says it doesn't. That means everything turns off of what he says. That means all of creation wakes up every morning because he lets it wake up. And that means you wasn't a mistake either. The odds of you being here, of ever being born, is one in 400 trillion. One in 400 trillion. God does not make mistakes. You, you can get hit by lightning. I think it's one in 187,000 chances that you'll get hit by lightning in a lightning storm. You, you'll get hit by lightning a lot more often than you would being created. That's the odds. I love numbers. I'm not talking about the book of the Bible either. <laughs> I want you to think about something right now. Where's one place in your life that God parted a river? that you know without a doubt that you could share that testimony with three people that you know and it'd be effective. One place. One place. That's the goal we're leaving here tonight. I'm not talking about, hey, if you get the notion to go lay hands on blind people and eyes open up, I want to go. But if you get the opportunity to tell God Use me. Give me the opportunity to tell somebody about what you've done. That way you can be glorified. Because I want to see somebody's faith increase somewhere. That's what we're here for. Iron sharpens iron. And we're lights. And that means we get to go in dark places with an expectation with God to illuminate the darkness with us. Like I said, there's an accountability that we hold God to in our faith. And there's an accountability God holds us to in his word. And that reciprocates back and forth. But if we don't know his word, if we don't know his word, how can we expect to know whether he covers this area or not? Does that make sense? Y'all are with me, right? Good. I want everybody to stand up. We're getting, we right here, I'm fixing to dismiss.
want everybody to stand up. Uh, I want to pray for increase. Increase is where God brings me to the place to stretch me out or to chop part of me off, to make me holy, where he can do more with me, where he can grow me. We need increase in this church. Does everybody agree? We need increase in our own lives because of what's going on outside the doors of this church. Because we're getting increasingly more and more faced with things that we don't see any way out. The chaos in our country today. Don't turn the news on for a week. Please don't. Your faith will grow leaps and bounds. But we see that every time we turn it on. And in our minds we go, God, there's no way you could fix this. We see test results in a family member's life. And we see the x-rays. We see the pictures. And we go, God, there's no way you can fix this. But that altar where I encountered him, where he parted the rock, the water says something different. He says that says there can be dry ground here too. He says that there can be an altar built here too. It says that God wants an altar here. God wants to move right here, just like he's moved all the other times. Don't ever let what's happening now take away from what he's done and wants to do. Just close your eyes and raise your hands. God, dear Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, we pray for increase right now. Just grow us. Point out things in our lives, Lord, that, that are in between you and us. Draw us closer to you. Convict our hearts about the loss that we're around. Convict our hearts about the family members that we have in our own houses that we can proudly put you on display, not in a prideful manner, but as in elevating you and lifting you up in front of them to let them see our sincerity towards you, Lord, that our, our faith can be put on display. Lord, I pray that you just impart to us tonight, me included, through this service, through your word, that you bring us to the place that we understand how to apply these basic principles in our own lives, that you're always looking for an opportunity to be worshiped. You're looking for an opportunity to be glorified through us, that each and every one of us matter, that each and every person that we could ever see matters, that we're all created with purpose for a purpose. And let us glorify you with every breath we take. And Lord, I pray that these rocks don't cry out more than we cry out for you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.